Um, I came equipped. I have my tissues here because I will cry. It just I'm giving you a forewarning. I usually do. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm not certain in my material. I just, when the spirit touches me, I cry. I have a, this prerogative. It's not a big deal. Um, I was supposed to share the stage today with my spiritual father, Father Peter Hawken, who was a very, 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 very amazing man. He was also, uh, uh, he had a lot of human limitations. One of the things was that he actually never attended my talks. And we led retreats together. And as my time would come, he would get up and walk away. One time I had, I've done a session in his house and he excused himself and walked away. Uh, and I asked him, I said, Father, you know, is there anything wrong with me teaching? Do you don't like women teach? Like, what's the deal here? And he, was, he seemed to be very confused and he said, well, I just wanted you to know that I trust you. So I think this would be probably the first talk of mine that Father Peter will listen to. <laughs> and I really hope to do him proud. Uh, it is a little bit uh, st strange for me. I'm quite nervous right now to stand before you. There are more pastors, theologians, church leaders in this room than in any room I've ever <laughs> spoken before. And I feel very humbled that I also feel in my spirit that there are more heroes of faith in this room than in any room I've been before, and I feel very humbled. And I'm standing before you not in my strength and not in great knowledge. I'm standing before you as a daughter of Zion that came out from, from the ashes. And what I, I'm going to speak to you is less a theological teaching and more a prophetic stirring. Because we live in the era where the great mystery of faith is, about, is revealed to the body of Messiah. And I know that the cloud of witnesses is very envious of us. They wish they lived in this day when the mystery is revealed and he is approaching. So I just pray that the Lord will help me communicate clearly. And before I even start talking, I want to honor all of you. And once again, I am not here before I, because I know more than you know. I am here because the Lord gave me a message, and I want to pass it on. I was born in Russia, as Thomas said, in St. Petersburg, Russia. I grew up in a very secular Jewish family. They didn't celebrate anything. My grandmother used to go to the synagogue before Passover, and she would get free matzah, and she would bring it to the house and make matzah ham sandwiches. <laughs> My family is a 100% product of the Enlightenment. We value education and smarts. And we were not looking into spiritual things. But in his divine sovereignty, the Lord pulled me in. And I'm not going to tell you that story. 
But when I was growing up, I remember when I was maybe five, I asked my, I came back from the kindergarten and I asked my mom, who are the Jews and where can I see one? And my mom took me to the mirror and she said, it's you and me and daddy. And I got really excited. And even at the age of five, I was kind of a natural born leader. So I came back to the kindergarten and I've recruited all the kids to be Jewish. <laughs> My parents were in a bit of a trouble from that because some of the parents were anti-Semites and they were not so happy their kids are Jewish now. <laughs> but this question, who are the Jews? It's a big question, you know? And as, as the Jewish people, as we rise up from the ashes, we, we have to wrestle with this question. And as Messianic body, we have to wrestle with it. What does it mean to be Messianic Jewish? How observant should I be to be Messianic Jewish? Or not? Or what am, what am my relationship with the nations? What am my relationship with, my, uh, with the Jewish community? All of those questions are big, open questions. But I believe the Lord is, is doing something. The Lord is building things up. Uh, we know that in the Bible, we know that the Jews are the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? It's not enough to be a son of Abraham. And I had that happen to me a lot when I traveled in the nations. People would come to me and they say, you know, uh, my ancestors in Israel, why are they your ancestors? Oh, because I'm a son of Abraham. Well... It doesn't work that way. No, not really. They're my ancestors. If you're sons of Abraham, you can be the nations. Also, not all the nations are sons of Abraham. But your spiritual sons of Abraham get adopted through him into the commonwealth of Israel. You all know that. So it's, I'm just touching it a little bit. Uh, who are th so these are... The Jews are the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the nation, as, as John Dawson said in Beersheba uh, this week that touched me really, we are family. We are one line, we're a family. So we are a family that kind of is like, you know how in Ikea they assemble a living room for you to see how it would look? So we were picked out to be assembled to, for you to see how the kingdom will look. And it didn't really work all that great. But we're not also not going to go into that in detail. The, the Lord has wanted the nations. Even as he's choosing Israel, uh, we can see in, um, uh, in the book of Genesis, when, uh, when God is choosing Israel, he says, I will choose you to be my people. You will be the father of many nations. You will be the father of the nation. The earth is mine. From the beginning. There, you will get see this line very clearly. God wants to be the king of the nations. He chooses people of Israel as an instrument, as a tool. And when I talk to people, I like to use this example. You know, in Israel, I run a ministry. It's called Streams in the Desert. And one of the things we do, we work with uh, young people, with children and youth. Uh, I have a team that helps me do that. They're amazing. They, we also, almost all of us are member of the same, members of the same community. We spend a lot of time together. We eat meals together. These, these people, this team of mine, they're my family. I love them dearly. 
uh, there's hardly anything I wouldn't do for them. Uh, they're my people. And if you come with us to camp, what you will see is me running around, taking care a lot of the team, asking them how they're doing, making sure they're not falling apart, making sure they're not fighting, you know, just focusing my attention on the team. And you might look at that and say, oh, Mariana's focus is the team. However, I do it because of the kids. They are the generation of Israel that is coming to know their Messiah. They are absolutely precious. They are probably the most important children on the planet. And I love them. And I know that the enemy wants to hurt them. And I know that we need to fight for them. And I know that to fight for them, I need this team. I can't do it on my own. So I invest in the team so that the kids can be touched, so that the kids can be brought in, so that they can grow strong. Because as they grow strong, my ceiling is going to be their floor. But right now, they're lion cubs, and almost anything can hurt them. So my focus is the team, so that we can protect those kids, so that they can grow to full maturity, so that they can be the fruit of the revival in the land of Israel. This is very similar, how it works between Israel and the nations. God wants the nations he wants to be the king of the nations. He couldn't just go to pagan nations and said, hello, pagan, worship me. They needed to be a process of purification. He picked a nation to be his team, the nation that had to grow, to develop, to be able to produce the light of the world, to be able to produce the faithful, perfect Israel who completely fulfilled what he was called to. There was a process. This is the servant nation that is there to bring in the nations into the kingdom. In, um, in the scripture, Apostle Paul talks about something called the mystery of God. And I heard many teachings on the mystery of God. Almost none of them had anything to do with Israel. Uh, until I heard Father Peter in many years ago, and things began to take shape for me. Paul talks about the mystery of God 21 times. 19 times, it means the same thing. Twice, it means a different thing to confuse you. He's like that a little bit. Today, the reading uh, for today of the Catholic Church is uh, from Romans 11, where Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of the mystery. And he talks about Israel, and Israel's eyes open to faith. In the 19 times in the scripture where the mystery of God means the same thing, it means this. From Colossians 1, 24 and, and following. Colossians 1:24 I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ I so hope I will never have to say that you know he says I, I suffer so much that in my own body I complete whatever suffering was not fully done by Yeshua That's a heavy statement 
for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, for you Colossians, for you Gentiles, for you nations, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which was hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. And here's the mystery. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among Gentiles. Messiah in you, the hope of glory. In Paulan language, the same way like the mystery almost always means the same thing, the glory means resurrection from the dead. It means the kingdom. And whenever Paul talks about the hope of glory, he says, I look at you Colossians, Gentiles, I look at you, I see my Messiah that was promised to my people in you, which says to me the kingdom is coming. The resurrection from the dead is coming. It's it's coming, it's approaching. And he was willing to complete the sufferings of Messiah in his own body for the sake of this mystery. In Ephesians 3, 1 to 7, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Messiah Yeshua, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written to you already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Messiah, which is in all ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Messiah through the gospel, of which I became the minister according to the gift of grace." It blows his mind when he says that. It's not what was expected. It's not what the Jewish people knew. It was spoken from, from the prophets, but I'm pretty sure even the prophets, when they prophesied it, they did not know what they were talking about. He says here, I'm standing before you now, writing to you Ephesians from jail, you know? And he says, we are the heirs of the same kingdom. That's the mystery, that you and I, Israel and the nations, we are the heirs of the same kingdom. In uh, Isaiah 42, we, uh, we learn that uh, Yeshua is, is meant to be the light of, to Gentiles. Uh, and here is one of my favorite passages about that, is John 10. 14, 15, he says, Yeshua himself says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. He's talking to his disciples, all of them are Jewish. He has not yet stepped out of the commonwealth of Israel. So he talks to Israel and he says, you're my sheep, you know my voice, I know you. As the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the sheep I have, which are not of this fold, that he also lays down his life for them, they're not of the fold of Israel. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock 
and one shepherd. It, he doesn't say to his sons Israel, I'm going to take you out and bring you to this big flock of Gentiles and you're going to be one flock with them and I would be your shepherd. He says, I'm going to go to those many, 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 many sheep that you don't know and bring them to you, little itsy bitsy Israel, and you're going to be one flock and there's going to be one shepherd. In Jeremiah 31, 31, 33, we all know this scripture. We know it by heart. God is speaking of the new covenant. And he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Unless you believe in replacement theology, it presents a problem because the new covenant is not made with Gentiles. And so many people in the world believe that. Even those who are friends of Israel, they believe that. I remember not so long ago, I was in a wonderful church in the States, and they are Christian Zionists and lovers of Israel. And the youth pastor was giving communion, and he was on stage, and he had a communion cup in his hand. And he said, thank you, God, for, for having a better covenant with us than you had with Israel. And I almost fell off my chair grieving, like on the floor, face down, weeping. That is a scandal. That is a scandal that we believe that. It is such a, it is such a stumbling block for his kingdom. The covenant that he made, the new covenant that he made in his blood is with the house of Israel and with the people of Judah. The only way you can be under that covenant if you become Israel. That's the only way. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the only way. If you will plant yourself, if you will engraft yourself into the root of Israel, if you become Israel, you can be under that covenant. And I'm not telling you to become Jewish. Because to be Jewish, you have to be son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have the model for that in Ruth, in the story of Ruth. In her love for Naomi, in her union with Boaz, she didn't become Jewish, but she became faithful Israel. And she was honored to become also the line of the Messiah. So the Lord says, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the, with the house of Israel and with the people of Judah, and, I will, and it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt. I, many Messianic Jews, I've heard talk about how the new covenant is just a commentary on the old covenant. He says, no, this covenant is not like that covenant. It's a different covenant. It's not against the old covenant by no means because it comes from the same character. It comes from the unchanging heart of God. But it's a new covenant. And it has new principles in it as well as strengthened old principles. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer when they'll teach their neighbor to say to one another, know know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant. This is the covenant you are under. There is no other covenant. A few years ago, I was in, in, in the States, and I was preparing a talk that was titled Discerning the Signs of Times. <laughs> it's what John Dawson is going to be talking to you, I think, this, this morning, too. And I was doing my homework, so I had um, a little, very nicely organized table in front of me. I drew two columns, one said nations, one said Israel. And I was writing down the important milestones of the past hundred years. And and as I was writing them down, you know, in the side that had the nations, I uh, had things like Azusa revival. It's a, it was a very meaningful thing to me, and I thought it's, it had, I think it had, it changed the game plan for the, for the body of Messiah. And whether we are Pentecostal or not, it changed our worship, it changed the way we see intimacy with God, it changed missions, it brought a different kind of unity to the body, it changed everything. And as a mercy minister, it also made me so excited to know that God reached out to a completely marginalized group of people who nobody was taking seriously and elevated them to the place like, like he did with the disciples. You know, he went to the poor fishermen of Galilee and he elevated them to be history makers, it changed everything. So I was, I was writing down all the wonderful things about Azusa revival, and I was writing down uh, some other revivals that happened since then, and uh, different important things in the church history, and the unity movement, and Vatican II. Like, all of that was, like, nicely written in the column titled Nations. And then I put Israel, you know, uh, Balfour Declaration, the Battle of Beersheba, we just celebrated 100 years of the liberation of Beersheba by Australian and New Zealand army 100 years ago, you know, from the Ottoman Empire. And whatever our feelings are about wars and battles and anything, that thing opened up a way for God, God's people to come back to the land that was promised to them for the restoration that was promised in the scriptures by the nations that were brought from the end of the world. So that was Israel column, right? Balfour Declaration, then uh, um, declaring the independence of Israel, taking back Jerusalem, like uh, all of those things in that column. And as I was doing that, the Lord spoke to me and he said, check the Hebrew date of Azusa revival. And believe it, Believe it or not, there is an app for it. You know, you can type in 
uh, Western date and the Hebrew date will pop up. So I'm doing that. And, and then I look at this page and I just fall on my face weeping because the day of Azusa revival was actually the eve of Passover. The Azusa revival that changed the face of the Gentile church happened on Passover Eve. And as I was on my face down, the Lord said to me, it's not Whatever you wrote, those two columns is nonsense. Throw it away. It's not like that at all. On the cross, I've created one new man. On the cross, I destroyed the wall of partition, and I've created the kingdom in my blood. There's no two histories. They're not two achievements. They're not two glories. They're not two shames. I've created one new man on the cross. And the Azusa revival is let my people go for all of you. For all of you, for Jew and Gentile, for the kingdom, it's let my people go. It's a new level. It's a preparation for whatever we're living now and whatever we're going to live in the coming years. This is the achievement of the cross. And the thing is, one new man is a nature it's, it's rooted in the cross. I know that many, Jewish, many Christian churches are trying to find partner with the Orthodox Jewish community. We are, as a people, Israel, we're still blind. We still don't see the Lord. By his grace, he tore the veil for some of us and gave us this unexplainable chance to go ahead of our people as a remnant. The remnant is not the entire people. The people are coming. They're coming. The blindness of Israel is soon to be over. The people are coming. And when they come, you will have the full partner in the kingdom. But right now, all you have is a little foretaste and you are like, a, like Ruth to blind, bitter, and grief-ridden and Naomi. You are, now is the time when you are to carry us in our blindness and in our weakness. The same way, like now is the time when I, we are, my team and I, are to fight for the youth of Israel until they come into fullness of their calling and carry them. And when the time comes, we will carry you, and they will carry us. I believe that what is created in these days as the revelation of the mystery, which is Jew and Gentile together as one kingdom under one covenant with one shepherd being one flock, as this revelation spreads around the body of Messiah afresh, Something that, is, that I call the fellowship of the mystery is created. And I know it sounds a little bit Lord of the Ringish, you know. <laughs> but I believe that we all are experiencing it. We all are given a chance to prophetically enter into something that is not yet. To make a step and start living this unity 
this one kingdom today as if it's already here. And it's a higher calling. I do believe very shortly this kingdom would be fully revealed and all of us will see it with our own eyes. But right now it's not yet. And yet we're all invited into it today as a higher, deeper, more beautiful calling. So I'm here to invite you into that fellowship of the mystery. And it's not easy today, partially because of the blindness of Israel and of the hardness of the church. It's not easy. But it's completely, totally, utterly worth your while. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Yeshua. Oh, Father God. How great you are. How much greater are your thoughts than our thoughts, your plans than our plans. I pray, Lord, that you would stir our spirits and make us one. Like you prayed, Yeshua, that we would be one. Even now, even today, that we would be one. That we will be the prophetic fellowship of a foretaste of the coming kingdom. Being one with one another. Under one shepherd. In one kingdom. In the name of Yeshua, I pray. Amen.